this podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. You get in the Word, God will get into you. And you start getting in the Word of God in you, I'm going to tell you, you're going to see changes in your life, okay? How do you get the Word in you? Well, you read the Word and you study the Word and then you start speaking the Word. Start speaking the Word of God out of your mouth and God will begin to move if you got a Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 22. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, get ready today. This one is, is a tough one. We've been talking about all the idols, and most of it had been centered around things, whether it was football, whether it was music, just all the things that the world bombards us with. This one is tough. This one was so tough on me. God began to deal with me last week. I woke up at 3 this morning, and I played tug-of-war with God, and I said, I'm not doing it. I'm going to change the whole sermon today. And, you know, that doesn't do very good with God. He doesn't ask us to do things. A lot of times he tells us so. Just get ready, and I believe the Word of God will minister to your heart today. And so what happens when somebody occupies the place in our heart that God should? What happens when a person, whether it's your spouse, your children, parents or siblings occupy that place in your heart that only God can. i tell you what happens. It's a thing called empty illusions. And we put a lot of, of happiness, joy, and contentment on what other people do in our lives. And so if we're not careful, people can become our gods. And some of you are saying, whoa, whoa. Well, let's read the scriptures and find out some things. Matthew 22. Let's just begin in verse number 034. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, talking about Jesus. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the most important? What's the granddaddy of them all? Tell us. And Jesus replied in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God. And notice how you're to love the Lord your God. With all of your heart, not half of it, not with a little bit of it, but with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now this was Jesus' words. And so this is the very first one that he gives us. And then he says, this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor or other people as yourself. Now there's a bunch in all that. And he ends in verse 40 and says, On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets, or the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, Jesus summed it all up in the word love. He summed the whole thing up in the word love with, with a twofold direction. You're to love God, and you're to love your neighbor. You're to love other people. Now, here's what we've got to understand today. Look at the order that Jesus tells us in this. Your first love is the, to, to be to Father God above anyone else, okay? Now, for each one of us in here, if I don't learn to love God properly, I'll never learn to love myself properly or other people properly. It's just not going to happen, okay? And so a lot of times we try to do things out of our own ability, but when I fall in love with Jesus and I, I give Him my whole heart and I love Him with all my soul and my mind like we're, we're told to do here, something begins to happen to me. Now, if we went back into the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, 
One of those in there says that we are to honor our mother and father. It talks about it again through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6. We hear in the Scriptures that we're to honor our spouses. We're to honor Father God with our given. We're to honor people in authority. To honor people is a great thing. But I can never worship people. Only God is who I'm to worship to, okay? Now turn into your Bible way back into the Old Testament, the very start of it, to Genesis 22. To Genesis 22. And you're, you're turning to Genesis 22. What if you and me were asked to prove our love for God is greater than anything or anyone? How would you respond to that? If we're, we're to prove how much we love Father God. Now in this passage here, we're going to read a, a passage about a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah. And they desired to have kids forever and ever and ever. And God promised them that of a child, of a son. And it didn't happen on their timetable. But they continued to believe God and they trusted God. And, and Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 when Isaac, the promised child, was birthed. Now, I don't know about you, that would tilt me to think that. I'm like, no, I don't need any more kids, especially at 50, but can you imagine being 100? Man, rock your world. But this was the promise that was given to them, okay? Just setting the table a little bit. Let's begin Genesis 22, verse 1. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now, understand this, the reason I want to highlight that, that God tested Abraham God knew it was a test. And me and you, by reading the Bible, we knew it was a test. But Abraham didn't. This is real life to him, okay? So, it came to pass over these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. Now, this denotes his readiness and his fear of God. Verse 2. Now, I'm going to really break down this verse right here. Because there's several nuggets in here that we really got to get a hold of. Verse 2. Then he said, take now your son, your only son. Now I want you to put that in your memory bank today, right now. That thought right there. I want you to take your son, your only son. And then he says, Isaac. Now understand, Isaac means laughter. So it's very clear here that Isaac brought great joy and excitement to his mother and father. I mean, they were so proud of Isaac. Now, many, many of you can remember this. I mean, I see Jessica and Eddie right here. They just had a new little baby girl a couple of weeks ago. Remember when your first child, your second child, whenever was born, and they came tumbling out and rolled out on the table, and you were like, oh, my gosh, that's beautiful. Now, I don't want to break any of his feelings, but I don't know any babies are beautiful. I mean, they're all wrinkled, especially white kids. They're all hazing, you know, and stuff. I don't mean that, but it's the truth. But anyhow... How you guys get me off on things. Isaac brought them great joy, okay? They were like, that's our boy Isaac. And so God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Do you guys know that this is the first place in scriptures that the word love is referenced? Right here. And is used in connection with the mother and father and their child. So he said, take Isaac, your son, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah. Two things you got to hold on here. Your first son or your only son and this place called Moriah. Now I'm going to come back to it. 
At the end today, you're going to see the connection of all this. But he said, take him and go to Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now just get a hold of this here just for a little bit and put yourself in Abraham's shoes. How would you respond to Father God if he asked you to give your only son, your daughter, your parents, your siblings? I mean, a lot of Christians have a hard time giving him 10% of their money, but to say a child? Wait a minute, Father God, that's crossing the line. But this is exactly what God asked Abraham to do. And once again, I believe this, that in every one of our lives, the more I fear of losing something or someone, the more likely I am to worship it. In other words, it doesn't matter if it's people or things. When I refuse to give that up, you know what I've ultimately said to Father God? This is an idol in my life. This is what's first place in my life. Not easy, is it? And if you go back and you study Abraham's life, at this time in Abraham's life, he had everything. That dude was loaded. He had lands and cattle and so he had everything imaginable. But could it just be that the one thing that kept Abraham from giving Father God his whole heart was that son? Woo! I told you this isn't an easy one, guys. And as we go here this morning, I'm going to tell you the story in a little bit of how this was birthed in me. And I'm telling you, it rocked my world. I mean, I had to get before God and say, you've got to help me here with this, Lord. Keep reading, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. You know what that shows me? He didn't delay. He rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son... And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. Now, this was a 50-mile journey. 50 miles that Abraham had the opportunity to have to marinate on this thought. Obedience to God, guys, isn't always easy. If it was, everybody would be doing it. And this is one of the strongest forms of obedience I can find anywhere in the Bible. Keep reading. Verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Three days into the journey, he begins to see this, guys. And when I look at this, I look and I think, can you imagine what's going through his eyes, his mind, his thoughts? He had told nobody of God's orders. And the drama begins to build. The 50-mile journey, the closer he gets, the more the reality of what Father God said for him to do. Verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Now right here, I believe that Abraham defines worship to me and you. He's defining what worship is. And you know what he's telling us? Only God can be worshipped. I can put nobody, even my only son, above Father God. I'm going to worship Him. Now, in this passage right here, he has an interesting thought or a, a statement at the end. He said, me and the lad will return. We'll come back. You know what I believe God was saying in that moment, or Abraham was saying in that moment? I've served you, God, all of my life. And I know your character. 
And I know I can trust you. And you know what I believe he was really saying? Even though I don't understand everything that's going on, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. How many are in some situation in your life right now where you've got to believe God and you say, I do not understand this, but you know what, Father God? I'm going to continue to obey you. And if, if you're not that way, get your faith out there. Trust God. He's faithful. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever God. Verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father. Sounds kind of like what Jesus said when he was on the cross, doesn't it? My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now let's get in Isaac's or, or Abraham's shoes once again. Here his son is telling him this. Can you imagine what's going on on the inside of Abraham? He knows who the sacrificial one is going to be. And look at his response in verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Once again, you know what Abraham was saying? I trust in God. Do you know this is where God's name, Jehovah Jireh, comes to place right here? He's the provider. And so this is exactly what Abraham says to Isaac. You know, here's the bottom line in this. God didn't desire for Abraham to kill his only son. You know what God was after? Abraham's heart. He said, I want all of your heart. And remember the first week we talked about this in Exodus 20 verse 5. It says specifically God is a jealous God. God demands loyalty. And God demands allegiance. And God says, listen, I don't want to share you, okay? I want all of you. Verse 9. Then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there. And he placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Can you imagine this? Your only son. Now let me give you some history about this real quick. Isaac is no longer a little bitty boy, guys. At this time in his life, Isaac is now 37 years old. Abraham is 137. So guess what's happening here? Isaac, the son, realizes what's going on. If he wanted to, it said, listen, Pop, I'm going to knock you out. You're not binding me and throwing me up there. But yet it shows me that Isaac was willing. Isaac consented. And you know why I believe more and more Isaac consented? Because he had grown up with Abraham, his daddy. And he had watched his daddy call upon God. And he had seen the faithfulness in God. And he was like, all right. All right. So he binds him. Verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven. He said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Now get this. For now I know that you fear God. For now I know I have your whole heart. I got all of you. How did he know that? Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. 
He didn't begrudge how he had to give his own son. And when you look at this, once again, it's difficult to let, let go of things that are dear to us. Especially a child. Can you imagine this right here? But if we were to go back in Exodus 20, verse 1, the first commandment God said is, Have no other gods before me but me. Do you know that's found in the New Testament? That's Matthew 4.10 and it says, Worship and serve only God. The second one is, Have no other carved images or idols before me. That's found in Luke 16.13. What Luke 16.13 says? You can't have two masters. You can't have two masters. And saying this, I read a, a, a story about a poll, a figure the other day. They polled a thousand people and they said, what do you love first in your life? What's the greatest thing you love? 22% said, my spouse. 19% said, God. 17% said, their children. 3% said, their parents. Out of all those polled, 7 out of 10 said, I love my family more than Father God. Turn with me back, way back in the New Testament to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Now as you're turning there, I'm going to ask you another question. God doesn't desire that we sacrifice our families as an act of worship. He's never done that. Actually in Deuteronomy he talks about that. But, if he did, how would you fare? Would it be the gift or would it be the giver? Now, this is where it got really tough on me when I begin to see these things in the Scripture. We're going to 2 Peter 2, chapter 2. If you've gone to Revelation, you've gone too far. Okay? Tucked in there right after James. 2 Peter 2, chapter 2, verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness or boast of folly, they allures or they are allure through the lust of the flesh. Now the lust of the flesh talks about the desires of our flesh. We found that out over a couple pages in, in 2 John chapter 2, verse 15, 16, 17. It says that the things of the world, that all that in us is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And lust of our flesh has a big deal with our lives, every one of us. So it's mentioned here again, and then he says the lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty or freedom, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Now get this right here, okay? This is a good part. For by whom a person is overcome, by him or by that person, also he is brought into bondage. Let me make a little sense out of that for you. Let me read it out of the Amplified. For by whatever one is made inferior or overcome by, to that person or thing, he is enslaved. The New International Version says this way. He is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Now let me ask you here. Do you, do you believe people can master you? Do you believe people can control you? Absolutely they can. And if not, if we're not careful, they become people, the pedestals of our life. Every one of us in this room. Let me give you some little statements that we may say that you may say. He worships the very path that she walks on. 
many of you have ever said that? She worships the very ground he walks on. He worships the very ground he walks on. So ultimately what we're saying is my happiness and my contentment in his life is based on that one person. And any time I've placed that person on a pedestal, they've become God. So you know what we're saying? My sense of happiness is because of another person. Now, I had a guy in the first service here, and he said, he said, I knew on the way here today God was going to speak to my heart. And he said, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to hear, but I knew it was. And he said, I'm in a relationship with a woman. And he said, it hadn't been good. And he said, I knew that in my life, I had made that lady my source of contentment. How about this one? And in the video earlier, we said it. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. How many of you have ever said that? You all can raise your hand because all of you said that, you liars. Hang me out to dry again. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So you know what we're saying in reality? If mama's happy, we're happy. If mama's angry, we're angry. If mama's upset, we're upset. And any time a person, they can control our mindset or our emotions or the aroma of our home, you know what's happened? We've replaced God with them. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell my wife to make me happy. And so ultimately what happens is we start looking to other people to make us happy, and they can't fulfill that. Only God can. Now, if I was to poll us all in here, how many of you got married because you thought your spouse would make you happy? We'd all say, well, wasn't that what was supposed to happen? Only God can fulfill that. Now, how about this one? Our children. That if we're not careful, we allow our children to be the God of our house. That we make them priority, and all we ever sacrifice for is for our children. Now, I'm not saying you leave your children out to dry and say, Hey, you little rats, go fend for yourself. That's not what I'm talking about here. But here's, here's a word that I began to hear four weeks ago, and I wrote it down, and I realize now. Right now in America, we have a generation that they call the helicopter generation. You know why? They hover over their children. And all their identity is in my children. And my life is based on my children's accomplishments, and my life is based on my children's achievements. And so once again, without saying it, if my children are good and happy, then I'm good and happy. If they're mad and upset, then I'm mad and upset. But see, once again, we've taken the focus off of Father God. Now, I'm not telling you wives to go home today and tell your husband, fix your own grilled cheese. That's not what I'm... Do your own underwear. I hate them things anyhow. That's not what we're talking about, guys. Should we love our family members less? No. Should we love them differently? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we're not careful in in looking at all this, I can make people... My idol. I can begin to put them up here. Now go with me into the New Testament. Where are you? To, to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. 
That the thing is, each one of us, I want you to see this here today. No human can, can satisfy us. And when I put all my stock in another human being, make me satisfied and help me, make me happy, guys, man, I've, I've made that an idol. I've made them an idol. And we don't like to say it that way, but that's what it is. Luke 14, verse 25. Now get ready. This is going to bring some truth to you. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned aside and he said to them. Now you know what he's fixing to tell them? The cost of discipleship. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate. Now i got to tell you about the word hate right there. This is in reference to everyone else by comparison to God. In other words, God's got to be uno. He's got to be number one. He's got to be number Okay? Now look at the list here. If anyone does not hate... His father and his mother, his wife and his children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life. That's next week, your own life. we got to hit it. Listen to what he says. He cannot be my disciples. Now, I want you to go back and look. All those that are mentioned, every one of those are dear to me, dear to you. But i got to catch the jest of what Jesus is telling me and you. That I can't put any of these above Father God because He's a jealous God. He demands allegiance. He doesn't want to share me with other people. Now that doesn't mean I don't love people. But what happens with us if we're not careful? We're out of balance. Have you been out of balance, Pastor? I have. I can stand before you. And guys, you've got to understand everything I preach about. God works on me all week. And man, I mean, I tossed and turned with this. And I said, Father God, I've been out of alignment at times. And let me share this to you, how this was all birthed in me. I was going to get off of this subject. One day I'm watching this this, uh, interview on TV. This man, who's probably in his mid-30s, he was raised Muslim. He served Allah. His family was involved in Islam. His mother and father, the whole community where he lived, was a part of this city in America that was all Muslim. His mother and father were very, very influential in the Muslim community. He said he began to work around this man who was a Christian. Now get this. He said this man who was a Christian, he said, the way he won me, he said he lived it. He said he not only lived it, he understood Scripture. So every time I would throw him, throw at him things that the Muslims would do, he said he would combat me in a loving way with Scripture. He'd say, this is what the Bible said. This guy began to say that I began to look, and everything that Islam had promised me had never come through. He said, this is the reason why most of Muslims are so angry right now, is because everything that's been promised to them has never happened. And you know what else he said? And this is just a side point. He said, anytime a Muslim kills another person, actually, he is shedding the innocent blood of people at the altars of Allah. And it rocked me when I heard that. They think they're bringing the blood of innocent people to him. So this guy, over a period of time, he gives his heart to Jesus. 
He gets born again. He's thinking this is the greatest day in his life. He goes home and tells his family, and guess what happens? They're saying, you're out. You're done. You've disgraced us. You're an infidel now. So for the next eight years, guys, he says he's alienated from the very ones he loved, his mother and father and daddy. And they ask him in the interview, how did you cope with that? And you know what he said? If your mother and father are above Jesus, then you're not worthy of Jesus. And I looked at that, and you're talking about rocking my world. My mom and dad are here today. And I sat there and I looked, and I have to look at my own life. If my wife is above Jesus, then I'm not a worthy of Jesus. Do I love them all dearly? Absolutely. But once again, this is what rocked my world. And I thought, I'm out of order. Are you out of order? Now look what he goes on and says in verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross. You know what bearing your cross is? You're going to get persecuted. You're going to have to leave some things. Can you imagine what took place with Jesus when he bore his cross? You know what he said? This isn't just for a three-day weekend. I'm giving my life to it. So in these next few verses, what Jesus is ultimately telling us is, listen, boys, you better count the cost. You better understand what you're getting into here. And we say, oh, let's just sit around and sing kumbaya. Everything's going to be okay. Well, why did Jesus say in Revelations 3, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to barf you out? I know it's a little graphic, but that's what he said. So he goes on to say, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me. You know what to come after me means? It's not going to happen by accident. I'm going to have to come after him. I'm going to have to purpose in my heart. I'm going to serve him. He cannot be my disciple. So once again, we see right here that Jesus is saying, I want all of you. And look in verse 33. I'm jumping down there for a little bit. So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. And you know what this is about? Total commitment. Total commitment. I told you this wasn't easy. I knew we'd get quiet in here. It's even quieter than that in the first service. And I thought, oh, geez, you've got to help me. I tell you guys, I, I deliberated in between service. I said, Lord, I don't know I want to do that again. I'm a human being. I don't like to feel rejected. But understand this. This is what happened to me. I looked at this, and this bothered me. It really did. I looked at my life and think, oh, my God, I'm out of order. Now, I told you to hold fast to a couple things that we read in Genesis 22 too. The first one was my only son. The second one was the place called, called Moriah. Let me give you a little history lesson real quick. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, hundreds of years after Abraham sacrificed Isaac at the foothills of Moriah, a king named David bought a plot of land. And he bought that plot of land in the foothills of Moriah. Moriah was a place where God would provide. A few years later, King David's son named Solomon, he built a temple at the place called Moriah, better known as Jerusalem. Hundreds of years later, 
a son, God's only son, named Jesus, was crucified in the hills of Moriah. Now, you know what that tells me? Father God didn't ask Abraham to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. And you know what Father God said? I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give my only begotten son. Now think about this. I'm giving my most valuable resource for who? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for me and you. And so you know what it shows me? God loved me that much that he was willing and his son was willing. Remember when Jesus went to the cross and he said, My father, why are you forsaking me? So this tells me right here. God's chosen you and you and you and you and you. The issue isn't that God hadn't chosen you. The issue is, have I chosen God? Have I made him first place in my life? And I don't want you to be offended at this, okay? That's not my goal in this. But once again, I looked and when I, when I saw the story of that Muslim man, I think, here in America... We think it's a great commitment to get up at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning and go to church. Oh, that's a sacrifice. Are you kidding me? I mean, never in my wildest dreams do I come to church on a Sunday morning and think I'm going to get a, a gun pointed at my head. There's never a Sunday morning that I think, uh, am I going to die today for the cause of Jesus? I don't ever think that way. Because you know what? It isn't reality to me. But yet when I read this and I think, have I made all these things idols in my life? I'm not telling you to punt on your family. And I'm not telling you to punt on your marriage. But I am saying, look in your own heart and ask, who's on the throne of your heart? Just stand up with me here today. Now, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. I, my wife always tells me when you guys are quiet, they're just thinking, they're just thinking. You know, guys, I can tell you this right now. I'm, I'm just a delivery boy. And you see, man, I'm telling you, I play tug of with God. All night, I was like, let me preach on love or something. They'll like me. Or at least I think you like me. But when you get down to the root issue of things, man, it tells us, it shows i got to look in my heart. And I ask you to bow your head right now. Just as we sang earlier, I don't want to sing or speak to a room. I want to sing and speak to Jesus face to face. And understand this, just as God was looking for Abraham's whole heart, that's what he's looking for you and me. And maybe you're out of line today. I can truthfully say to you, I've, I've been out of line. It still rocks my world to think that Jesus has got to be first place of my life, not just in word, but not in theory, but in every area of my life. 
And if you're here today and you say, man, I'm out of order. I'm out of order. Maybe you've looked to your parents as your source of strength. Maybe you're looking at your, your, your wife or your husband that they bring contentment and satisfaction to your life. Maybe it's through a child. You know, I'm going to open up these altars today. Maybe God's just tugging at your heart enough to say, I want you to go down to that altar and lay those idols at my feet. And give me your whole heart again. Surrender it back to me. And when you read the story of Abraham, God blessed him so much. God provided for him when he gave his heart. But not only did God provide him, you know what ultimately happened? His son Isaac served him his whole life. And Jacob served him his whole life. Something happens when, when I make the stand and say, God, you're first. That it becomes an epidemic that's awesome for your children and your grandchildren. What a heritage. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.